0: Yeah, it was a loss so nice. We're going to talk about it twice, a little bit more from the James Madison game, and then we're going to play a game of true or false with myself between basketball and football, and then we get into the mailbag. Let's go. You are Locked On Spartans, your daily podcast on the Michigan State Spartans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Episode is brought to you by FanDuel make every moment more. Right now new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That is 150 bucks if your team wins. Just visit fanduel.com/locked on to get started. Spartan friends, Spartan family, locked on Spartans listeners. Thank you so much for just dragging yourself back to a Michigan State show, especially this one. Really do appreciate you because It ain't necessarily sunny in 85 in East Lansing recently, but that's okay. We're going to wade through these waters together. We're going to try to find some sunshine here and there during this episode. But, yes, we still got to talk about Monday's game because this isn't your run-of-the-mill loss to Minnesota in the middle of February. Like, no, this – this one stings. We're going to talk about this a little more here, but first, please rate, review, and subscribe to this year' podcast or YouTube channel, and away we go. I, I mean, truly, guys, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for listening and watching all of you guys do. Uh, almost 24 hours later, we're doing this like 19 hours after the game here, but let's just reconvene our thoughts, our emotions. I'm still, I'm still a little disappointed. I'm less mad than I was, but uh, it's safe to say that us Spartan fans are very disappointed what happened Monday night, and just want to reiterate some points here, and maybe why I was the hardest on A.J. Hogard and Jaden Akins more than any other player, because look, at this point, we know who two of the upperclassmen are as players, with Mati Sissoko, and Malik Hall. Malik, you could point to a few things. You could point to the injury, the surgery, if you will. I know many of you don't want to hear that. And, well, okay, so we'll just move on to the next thing. Mati Sissoko, same player he is now. Then he is in year one. And I want to pass this point along, too. That's not all entirely on him. I mean, we had a lot of commenters, a lot of people in the emails say, like, yeah, like, Mati he hasn't really progressed to your right, but is that necessarily all his fault? Isn't that what the coaches are for? Yeah. Uh, yes. Like, it is an all-around Just boondoggle of what has been going on in his development as a former top 40 recruit. Anyway, they are who they are at this point. The reason that we are railing on Hogarth and Aikens and just far beyond like the, oh, these guys went to the NBA draft to get some feedback. And we're also a little myth they never got the combine invite. And then they have that as their first game. Just far beyond that. This, This is truly the epitome of the, I'm just disappointed, not mad. Because we know that they're so much better than that. It, it, it would be one thing if Hogard you know, botched that game at the end because he had six turnovers because he was trying to do way too much and things just got out of control. Like He was way too passive, which was the issue. And what was Michigan State's best offense in the last month of the season last year? It was A.J. Hogard tucking the ball under his arm, running through the lane like a running back, and getting a bucket. That wasn't even attempted Monday night. The last 10 minutes of regulation and the five minutes of overtime – Hogarth tried that once, like all of a sudden, like our bread and butter is just gone and we're going to be the most passive player that you've ever seen in your entire life. Like, that's why, that's why we got a little vocal here on the post game show, but yeah, 24 hours later, it's just, cause we know that there's more than that. We know that they can be more aggressive. I mean, Aik has just looked kind of somewhat lost. I think that's going to be an anomaly. He's had that happen sometimes, especially early in seasons in the last few years here, but man, it's, Now that was disappointing, but let's just, you know, keep working our way through it here. Um, We did record yesterday while Tom Izzo was doing his press conference. So we missed a few of the quotes. We missed him saying that he didn't think that Tyson Walker had that great of a game, all things considered, despite the fact that, yeah, he had a 30 burger and it might seem crazy to hear that. Yeah. Hey, that guy that single-handedly kept us in the game. The only one that was really playing in the last 10 minutes of regulation and overtime. Yeah, no, he didn't play all too well. This is where you really got to trust Tom, because if there's one thing that he is incredible at, it is knowing what button to press with each player. A lot of us have been on teams where every single person needs something different. Some need a lot of positive reinforcement. You may have seen it with Max Christie, the way he handled him, or hey, maybe Jeremy Fears is another player like this too. And that's not to say that these guys aren't getting barked at every once in a while, but sometimes you got to talk your guys up. Where sometimes, well, okay, you know what? Never satisfied with anything. We're always demanding more. And, well, also, let's be honest, too. As good as the last 10 or 15 minutes were for Tyson Walker, eh, the first five or 10 minutes of the game left a little bit to be desired here. So maybe he's just picking and prodding at that. But I thought that was an interesting quote to pop out as well. Again, we're just really trusting Tom that, okay, he's really going out on a limb and saying that his 30-point score Didn't play great. Hopefully to light even another fire under his one-legged guard that played, I think, overall pretty good on Monday. But another quote that we're really going to dig into here, he said that he's going to play his freshman and he does not care. Bring on the controversy. Now, do we believe that? Yeah, I do, and that's because Southern Indiana is coming into town, and this might be our last podcast until a Southern Indiana game happens. So let's just do a quick, uh, just rundown of who Southern Indiana is. We're not going to go in depth and go player by player here because, look, th- th- this is a team rated outside the top 300. In Ken Palm, Bart Torvik, uh, they have a small lineup. They only have one senior. They are expected to win this game by 32 points, says Bart Torvik. Like that—that's your rundown right here, aka. This is an opponent where you can teach a lesson and play some freshmen, start them over some seniors that really woefully underperformed in Monday's game. So who are we going to see in the starting five on Thursday here? Because well, you got, I don't know, only 217 options of what you can do with every one. Now, here's what it should be. Here's what it should be. I think it should be Jeremy Fears. Yes, a little skittish in the game yesterday. But, hey, that's the five-star McDonald's All-American He's, he's going to work through this. Like this happens with college point guards. They get in here and the game's a little faster than what they anticipate. Let him grow through that. Okay. That's the guard that has the most upside on this team. So throw fears out there. Yes, you keep Tyson Walker at the two. This might be controversial, but I would keep Jaden Akins at the three. I don't think it's for lack of complete effort yesterday. Just poor, I mean, just poor, poor, <laughs> just execution on a lot of things he was trying to do as well. Cohen Carr at the four and Carson Cooper at the five. That is what I would have. Now, here's what I think it will be. Let's try to go inside the mind of Tom Izzo right now. If we know anything about this guy that has been here for roughly 80 years, let's see if we've learned anything. I think Thursday the starting lineup will be Trey Holloman. Yeah, he's got a little seniority over fears. He trusted him also in overtime as well. Tyson Walker at the two. I do think he keeps riding Aikens at the three, but I think it'll be Carr at the four. And then for some reason, I do think he sticks with Madi Sissoko at the five. So I know that isn't a massive change. It's only changing two guys. Your point guard, putting Trey Holloman in for A.J. Hoggard, teaching A.J. a lesson of, hey, this is what happens when you turn into a space cadet late in the game and you don't want to help out your teammate Tyson Walker over there. And then we'll... Look, I know he's been very loyal to Malik Hall, but like th- this would be even ridiculous if, if Malik gets a start again on Thursday because, look, Malik can have some positive moments this season. Season is still young, isn't it, guys? But, man it's time to flip the page to uh, just Cohen Carr. We we can clearly see who the better player is so far. Now, we're going to do some true or false here, and we're going to bat right now, just get one out of the way here in this first segment, because, well, on yesterday's show, we were going to do a segment, just one segment, talking about the James Madison win, and then the next two segments with Connor Downey, we We're going to do some true and false, back and forth. It was going to be a great time, but... Yeah, the basketball game had different ideas, and that took up all three segments. So now it's just going to be playing true or false with myself, and let's just talk about something that's topical to Monday. Is that a lot of the chatter online is that, hey, these games happen. You know, sometimes Michigan State comes out flat against non-conference opponents that are really woefully below their skill level, and sometimes they're close, sometimes they just lose it. It happens. Is that true or false? Well, it's kind of somewhere in the middle. How about that? Can't even give you a straight answer for the first one. But what I did... Starting with the 9 2010 team, I went back, I looked at any team that was rated in the top 15 or top 20 and just saw how they did in the non-conference. Like the 9 2010 team, they went to a Final Four. They never really had issues in non-conference games. They blew every team out. The 2010-2011 team, the infamous team that was number two in the country and then barely backdoored their way into March Madness. Yeah, they had some issues in the non-conference. They snuck by Chaminade. They beat Oakland by one. But again, as we learned throughout that season – That was a nightmare season. The 2012-2013 team, they were top 15. They lost to UConn. Not even a great UConn team early on, but again, that's a power six team. It was in Germany. First game of the season in the Air Force Base, Um, so you can excuse that one. 2013-14, another really good team. They cut it close against Columbia once, but that was a few days after beating number one Kentucky, a little bit of a hangover there, and then snuck by Oakland, but that was at the Palace, so neutral court game. 2014-15, they were top 20. And that is the another infamous moment, the Texas Southern loss. But again, this team rallied and they went to the Final Four, 2015, 16, another top 20 team. They went to overtime versus Oakland when they were ranked number one in the nation. Also at the Palace, 18 and 19, no issues in the non-conference. The 2019-20 season, the loss to a eh, not so great Virginia Tech team in Maui. Okay, again, that was Maui. A lot of circumstances around that game with Cassius Winston and the tragedy that he had to go through. And then the 2000-2021 team, high point was close. Yes, Michigan State was in the top 15, but, I mean, look, that kind of vanished throughout the season. So in summation, what are we saying here? Is that really the Texas Southern game is the only one that you can't make an excuse for. Like, that wasn't a neutral court game. It wasn't played in a different country. It wasn't against a Power Six team. Like, no, it is actually a little rare for Michigan State to have a home game against a non power six team and struggle that mightily well to the point that they lose but yeah guys maybe these games don't really happen and maybe there should be some concern about this but hey you know what enough about basketball we're gonna give that a break we'll talk about football here in a hot second just need to talk your ears off about prize picks the leader in daily fantasy sports you've heard me talk up and down about prize picks the last few weeks game because why well why not for a few reasons this is the easiest game that you will play How do you do prize picks? Well, you have some players in the NHL. uh, I was going to say MLB. Got to wait for the spring for that. NBA, NFL, you can combine sports too. You look at their projected stats, you got to guess higher than that stat or lower than that stat. And if you string together enough players, you can multiply your money times 25. That's right. $10 turns into 250 bucks in just a few taps. I make my picks on prize picks in roughly... Got 36 seconds, and I just sit on the couch, melt into it, and enjoy the games. And also, well, Prize wants you to enjoy a little more money as well. Go to prizepicks.com slash lockdown and use code lockdown college for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash lockdown college and use code lockdown college for a first deposit match up to $100. It's Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy. Also, hey, Tis the season, holiday shopping coming up. Do it at homefieldapparel.com, the best place to get your vintage apparel. And if you're watching on YouTube, you notice I'm rocking my Hawaii hoodie that I absolutely beat the brakes off of every single winter. Why? It's comfortable. It's got a sweet logo on it. And look, it's 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 homefield baby. It's that homefield magic. Whether it's a t-shirt, long sleeve t-shirt, crew neck sweatshirt, hoodie, or even a hat that I can be peculiar about. That's right. Someone caught me for screwing up particular and peculiar last episode. So great read or great listening there. Oopsie daisy. Hey. It's gonna fit you great. You're going to look great because they have the best vintage logos, not just of Michigan State, as you can see, but also many other colleges across the country. So when you go to homefieldapparel.com, save yourself some money. Smash in promo code LOS 23 for fifteen percent off of your first order. Again, that's homefield apparel. Promo code LOS two three for fifteen percent off at homefield apparel. All right, gang, let's get back into the mix here. We're gonna do some true or false, a fun little game that I'm just playing with myself here. How how fun is this? Um. Before that, though, quick little football recruiting nugget. We will be talking with Brian Smith, a little more football recruiting here on Friday's show. But right now, Logan Bennett, offensive lineman, he decommits from Michigan State. He is the fifth decommit of the class. And in his short little tweet on Twitter, he didn't make any indication that Michigan State would still be considered like we've seen in other decommitment messages like uh, Andrew Dennis's one where he says I'm decommitting. Still consider Michigan State. Logan Bennett, no indication of that. And fine, like I, we're not going to lose a lot of sleep on that. You can understand why a kid might just be, eh, I'm just going to look at a place closer to home and we're just going to enjoy our visits that we had in East Lansing and call it a day here. So best of luck to him. Again, fifth decommit of the class. And yeah, if you've heard us talk about recruiting, I mean, quite bluntly, just you got to consider all these kids, like maybe soft commits because it's a wacky situation. I mean, credit to the kids for not, decommitting i guess and seeing who the new coach is going to be but yeah really interesting time here for michigan state fans now let's go back to true or false here because hey we talked about the coaching search the spartans illustrated report that they're talking with jack uh, jake dickert jonathan smith lance leopold and then dave clausen over at uh, Wake Forest, which looks interesting names. But, uh, hey, there were some comments like, okay, it's urban or bust. This sucks if it's not urban. Oh, my God, this is a waste. We're going to go into MAC-level competition because we don't have Urban Meyer. And some comments were, quite simply put, if it's not Urban Meyer, it's going to be very hard to get back to being relevant. So is that true or false? If it's one of these four guys, will it be hard for Michigan State to get back to relevancy? Yeah, I, I think it's true. But look, I'm going to hit pause there, too. It would have been hard with Urban Meyer as well. We all know the landscape going on right now because, okay, hey, Michigan, you're doing pretty good. Ohio State's Ohio State. We're going to inherit USC, even though they're, mm, they're looking kind of yeah, lately. But also Oregon, Washington. It is going to be hard to climb to the top of the Big Ten, even if Urban Meyer was here. But if it's the other four guys, I think it's only a slight step back here. I mean, Urban could do it quick. Like, that is something that perks the eyebrows up of recruits, transfers, donors. Like, that could flip the script that easily for Michigan State. Whereas if it's these guys, it might take, like, two or three years to get back to, quote, relevancy. However you define that. I define that as, like, nine wins. You know, just kind of being in the upper third of the Big Ten. Maybe you're higher. Maybe you're just lower. But that's where I'm at right now. That's how I define it moving forward is just getting back to nine wins, being competitive in the Big Ten, the upper third of the conference. And that's where Jonathan Smith has his Oregon State Beavers over in the Pac-12, in the upper third of that conference, with not a lot of resources there, with not a lot of reasons to have a good program in Corvallis. Jake Dickert, I don't know if it's the upper third of the Pac-12, but he's doing more than you would hope to do at Washington State, considering... Not just everything that was going around the program before he took over, but just like he sounded off on in a recent press conference, the lack of NIL and resources they have there too. Dave Clawson over at Wake Forest, that's another guy that, okay, he's exceeding expectations at a place like Wake Forest and Lance Leopold as well. All four of them have something in common, and I think we all know it by now. Beating expectations of where they're at. No reason for Washington State, Oregon State, Kansas, and Wake Forest to ever like be in the top 25. And for some of these guys, it's it's kind of happening routinely. So it can happen. And what do we talk about all the time here when it comes to okay, well, it's gonna be a big job for the incoming coach, whoever it is, how fast things can change in college football. I know I sound like a broken record, but yes, you can flip it a little quicker with the transfer portal, with NIL. Michigan State has good resources as far as money, brand new football facility goes. And yes, I know that a lot of rival fan bases want to treat us like we're just sisters of the poor and we are a poverty program. But the fact of the matter is we're a top 20 revenue school in the nation, top 20 or top 25 in attendance, depending on the year. So it's, there's a lot of good reasons to build something here. If you are someone that's coming from a place with less resources and has accomplished a lot. So no, I don't think we're going to plummet into irrelevancy if it's not Urban Meyer. So that's just where I'm at right now. Believe me, I'd rather have Urban Meyer than not have Urban Meyer. But I think that if it's another guy, not Urban, of course we can go back to being relevant. This might take another like season or two than it would for Urban. The other one that, really got a good amount of conversation in the YouTube comments uh, online is the Sam Levitt conversation. And this is something that I was railing on pretty hard after the um, the game over the weekend against Nebraska is that they, they essentially used his last game of eligibility on two passes and a route that almost got him detonated on the sidelines. Like that's what we're using his last game before he could take his red shirt on. Hmm. Interesting. So the true or false question I was going to ask Connor, again, we were going to have this conversation yesterday until the game took up all three segments because that's that's not a game you just talk about for one segment. Um, is, is the Sam Levitt redshirt thing a big deal? Obviously, I think that's true. I think it is a big deal. And I've heard a lot of like, what does it matter if he's that good? He only needs three years anyway in college. He doesn't need that fourth year anyway. I'm going to give you a homegrown example of why a fourth year can be important. And then, well, a big name that everyone's going to know here. The first homegrown one is, I think, Kirk Cousins certainly benefited from being here for four years and not just three. Yeah, was he good the first year as a starter? Yeah. Second year? Sure. Really grew a lot in that third year. Got himself into the middle rounds of the draft. And, well, you tell me if he's having an okay career. He's made a gajillion dollars. Now, how about this for another name if that wasn't convincing enough? Anyone remember Joe Burrow? Anyone remember Joe Burrow, a guy who was in college for five years because he maximized his eligibility? He was good. In that fourth year at LSU, he was fine. Whatever, exploded in his fourth year of being a quarterback and actually playing. So, yes, if you're in the Sam Levitt camp, like if I was his agent, a family member, a friend, I'm saying (laughs) – we're shutting it down. What is the point of playing like five passes against Ohio state, another six against Indiana, and then three passes against Penn state. Like no, we're shutting this down to preserve eligibility. Like this isn't a season that's going to a new year six bowl game for Michigan state by any stretch of the imagination. So it's easy to see why Sam Levitt, who by the way said, he's not sure if he's going to shut it down. This could all be a moot point. I'd be really surprised if they kept trying him out there, but, Again, from the Michigan State side of things, why would this make sense to preserve the red shirt? Now, it's not even just the red shirt. It's that I would have held on to that fourth game for a different time. Again, I, I said this after the Nebraska game. I think you could have won that game with just Katen Hauser being the only quarterback the entire game. Yes, Sam Levitt had that awesome touchdown pass in the fourth quarter. Based on Nebraska's quarterback play, I, you could have had Katen Hauser out there the entire game and not burn up Sam Levitt's fourth game. And again, two passes and a route that almost got him killed. Hey, there's three games left. Ohio State's one of them. Penn State is one of them. Michigan State has some injuries on their offensive line. Penn State and Ohio State have really good defensive lines. Caden Hauser, let's say that, uh-oh, the, the fourth string left tackle that we have out here isn't protecting him, and he gets hurt against Ohio State. You know who else is hurt? Noah Kim. You know who else isn't going to play, perhaps, because, well, they want to preserve the red shirt? Sam Levitt. You are left with almost no backup quarterback other than Andrew Skofar. I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, Andrew, but like that is where we're at right now. So no, for Michigan State, it's not even the redshirt versus no redshirt thing. It's the, why did you burn his fourth game against Nebraska? Keep him in your back pocket in case Ohio State, in case Indiana. And then, okay, great. Caden Hauser gets out of both those games healthy or he plays good where you don't need the backup quarterback in there. Awesome. Split reps against Penn State. Like that seems pretty fair, doesn't it? But nothing makes sense with this staff anymore. So yeah, I just had to had to harp on that a little longer here. And we got some more things to harp on from the mailbag, though. But first, just need to talk your ears off about FanDuel Sportsbook. That's right, the best sports book in America. And hey, if you're sick, just absolutely sick to your stomach about college football, well, hey, score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. You heard me right. That is $150 if your team wins. Just look at the NFL slate. Look at the menu. Find a good Moneyline bet. Bet $5 on that. Bang! If they win, 150 bucks. If you've been thinking about joining Fanduel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over/unders, and so much more. So what are you waiting for, gang? Visit Fanduel.com/lockdown and kick off the NFL season with us. It's Fanduel, official partner of the NFL. And let's get into the mailbag here because, uh, to the surprise of absolutely no one, there are some passionate emails that came in after Monday's game and. Yes, we are going to end with some basketball here. And this will be the last time we talk about the James Madison game for the week. Most likely. We'll see. I'm going to try my best. But, yes, this one comes from Jay. Brings up a lot of good points here. So this is not a super long email. I'm not going to read you a Dickens novel here. but hang with me here. Jay writes in, we waited all offseason and hyped this team up just for them to lay an egg. Let's be real with ourselves. We won two tournament games last year and all of a sudden thought this team was top five in the country. Do we forget the squad lost 13 games? Ryan's we have last year's UNC team, but at least it came off a final four run. Now we are looking at a team that could lose three or four against Duke, Butler, Arizona and Baylor. The center position is still bad. The upperclassmen have never played in slash one meaningful games in their career and our most talented players, the Freshman sit the bench while we lose to JMU. The season could be over in a month with, sorry, a month in with a chance to start two and three irrelevant basketball team since 2020 is embarrassing and makes one think won't be tuning in until they win a meaningful game. There's a lot to dissect there. Let's take this bit by bit here, but yeah, I think a lot of us are feeling that way about, hmm, do we just get a little too excited about, beating a USC team that was playing at 9 a.m. their body clock time, and then we beat a Marquette team, which, hey, was a good win. We're not going to so- say that was a fluke. They ran them off the court that game, but did we just get a little too excited after two games, especially after that Big Ten tournament where they kind of laid an absolute goose egg against Ohio State? Yeah, we may have let two games get a little ahead of ourselves. Um, Oopsie poopsie there. Uh, yeah, so we're learning that in real time right now. Also, uh, no Hauser. I- we're going to learn this the hard way too. Losing a 45% shooter from three really hurts, uh, not just because, hey, scoring's fun. And you wouldn't let this team go one of 20 on Monday, but it really limits the spacing you have too. You don't have a guy, a defender, floating out in the three-point line waiting for Joey Hauser to catch that ball so they could defend him. they are playing a little tighter to the lane here, which maybe that's the reason why A.J. Hogard wasn't so aggressive in the lane on Monday. But, man. It's going to screw up a little bit of spacing here. And also, let's talk about the center position here because things are looking bleak. We're going to have a longer discussion about this probably. This will keep popping up during the season, but it, it, this goes beyond just this season. Like, we know, we know what we got with Madi, Okay, like, he is who he is. Carson Cooper, he's doing his best out there. He he is defined his expectations of, what, a zero-star recruit with just two offers. Like, he, it, it's hard to rail on a kid that hard when really not a lot was expected of him early on. But, boy, it's a bleak outlook for the center position. Unless you're waiting for Jackson Kohler to come in and save the day, and even then, when he returns, how good can he really be off an injury and missing that much time? I'm not sure, but let's just look at next year, too. There's no center in the recruiting class. I mean, Dave Klein, great friend of the program, Dave Klein of uh, Spartans Illustrated. He had a space after the game, and he brought this up. They're not even recruiting a lot of centers for 2025, if any of them. Like this could be an issue that stretches over some years, plural of just lack of da- not lack of center play, but just like underwhelming center play. Whether it's lack thereof, a body on the court, or just lack of development. So yeah, the center position is a complete, complete car accident of a, of a thing here. Okay, Jeff is going to send us home here because his email really just gets point by point. Just a. Methodical undressing of every single player on this team, and I'll add my points in here too. But yeah, Jeff writes in again a lot of things that you guys have been saying, a lot of things that I've been saying too. So let's just go bit by bit here, because again, he states the player gives some thoughts, and let's just go down the list. Hogard, this is gonna be tough. Pathetic effort. No excuse not to take the ball to the basket, especially when half of their team was in foul trouble, and we could have shot free throws. Or uh, for most of the second half, oh should bench him. The rest. Sorry, the entire game on Thursday in favor of Feuders or even Holloman. That's a very good point, especially with the fouls. We, yeah, brought that up. Just one drive to the hoop in the last 15 minutes of the game. Inexcusable because I, whether it is a, just a good offense, as we saw in the last few weeks last year, or yeah, every like James Madison's head coach had four fouls in the second half, like everyone had four fouls. Test that a little bit, but whatever. Um, Malik Hall, what does he do in the offseason? His game seems to get worse every year. I really don't want to see him on the floor, and I definitely don't want to see him shoot another three ever. 24 minutes of terrible basketball. Again, no one wants to hear it, but like I, I think the, the foot surgery in the off-season may hamper a few things, but again, we, we have a large enough sample size to Kind of let us know that and maybe that's closer to what Malik Hall just really is in his fifth year here than than not. Again, season's still young. He could turn it around. Maybe he gets used to you know his, his new body with the foot and everything, but whatever. I will heavily agree with this, though. I'm not sure if I ever need to see four Malik Hall three-pointers ever again. I, I don't even think he's hit one, even against Hillsdale or Tennessee. I believe I saw on Twitter that he's 0 for 10 on threes in those games. It's just... I know that he's humming around 36% career. Those are the days of yore. It uh, has been a while since we've seen it that consistent. And look, is it going to be 0% the rest of the season? No, I'm not saying he should never shoot a three-pointer because I, just like we talked about with Hauser, you need someone to get some spacing with a three-point shot, but man, four attempts? And I will give him a little bit of credit. He did stop himself from shooting a few open looks late in the game because he realized that, oh, I'm laying up bricks here, but man, I, it's a disaster. Anyway, Sissoko, what does he do in the offseason? Uh, how is he the same player from year to year with no improvement in his game? 21 minutes and Cooper gets 17. Cooper is much better even though he can't shoot a free throw. Yeah, we just hit on the Sissoko thing there. I mean, we we have been and we will this whole season because we know what we get with him. I feel horrible because Maddie is a great kid. Uh, Trey Holloman looks no better than last year. Same question as Sissoko. He hit the only three-pointer on Monday. That's pretty cool. But, I, yeah, I mean – well, we'll make the ruling after like, I don't know, eight games here to see what Trey's jump shot looks like. But yeah, if, if he has any semblance of a jumper, I'll say that he improved a little bit in the off season, but the defense did leave a little to be desired on Monday. That was going to be a strength for Trey and a few blowbys at very key moments of the game yesterday. Cooper, generally okay, but pathetic on free throws. The stroke looks awful. Apparently he doesn't practice free throws in the off season. Again, I, I, I hate to just give a kid a blind pass here, but, I can't, I can't knock the kid too much for, you know, being a seven footer that's only shooting 55% of free throws or whatever. Like that, it just is what it is. Does it make him a little unplayable sometimes. Yeah. But again, I, I go to the coaching staff and wonder why we're putting so much stock in a kid that came here with just like two offers and was kind of a project that seems to be working out. Okay. Like that, that goes far beyond just Carson Cooper here, Xavier Booker. You were certainly right about low expectations for him but he uh, only got five minutes on the floor. Yeah, I... look, no no one wants to hear it. I, uh, Xavier Booker, I don't think he was really built for that game. But again, this is going to be just the why did Ben Carter play over Jaron Jackson against Syracuse argument all over again. I, I don't know if there was a spot for Booker on the court yesterday. I mean, maybe as the season progresses, it's going to be more than five minutes. But man, in a tight game like that, I mean, the time he was on the court, it's kind of bully ball. And I don't know if you need Xavier Booker against TJ Bickerstaff looking any more like prime Dwight Howard than he already was on Monday night. It was a disaster. Aiken's not a bad game, but his shooting stroke does not look better. He wants to play in the NBA Walker. Amazing game. We lose by double digits without him. Make your free throws. He had no legs because he was the only one doing anything. Uh, Fears and Carr, love them, want to see more of them over Holland Hogard. 100% agree. Garrick Norman, we were one of 20 from three, and he didn't get a minute on the floor. I thought he was the shooter in this class. He didn't play against Tennessee either, which is interesting because that's a scrimmage. That doesn't even count. So I don't know if there's like an injury issue going on there or... Yeah, I mean, Tom is just really letting it ride here with his upperclassmen that couldn't throw the ball in the ocean from the beach. And then finally, writes in, team quit, quit falling behind and needing to play catch-up. Positive, remember 2000, lost to Wright State at home, went on to win the Natty. And that's what we'll send all you beautiful people home with. The fond memories of 2000. Now, again, it's not in the NCAA bylaws that you have to choke at home and lose a horrible game in order to win a national title. But Michigan State, oddly enough, has a history of doing it. It was a long time ago, but they have a history of doing it. All right, gang. Again, I might see you again in two days here. We're going to recap what we see against Southern Indiana, of course, and then be met by Brian Smith, recruiting expert of Lockdown. But until then, love you all. Go Green.